So, we're here with Sightcast. You can see it on the banner. Now you see it in the flesh. And uh, I think we want to start with Ikuma. Okay. Dr. Adachi, you've been with Sightcast kind of the longest. So, what is Sightcast? Yeah, okay, so Sightcast uh, is for the Center for the International Coalition and Advanced Studies in Primatology. So it's a clear goal for us is international internationalization of the institute. So that's kind of the main goal. And for that purpose, we got three professors here. And I came first, but I mean, just on the same year, basically. So it's not such difference. When, when was that? When did Sightcast launch? 2010, April for me in June, for it, and July. July. Yeah. yeah. So it's in the same year. And we launched up the new uh, course there and we started the exam uh, in English. So now the old student can take an exam in the entrance exam in English. So why, why is that an important thing? I mean, we obviously know why, but for, well, for I mean, people... Come on, how many of the international people write and read in Japanese? <laughs> <laughs> so how hard is it, I mean, to get into Kyoto University if you were to take the Japanese? Wait, wait, for, even for Japanese, of course, it's among <laughs> the most difficult university and then if they have to go through in the Japanese entrance exam, there's no chance almost. So, but of course, I mean, Japanese is not important cue for the science itself. Mm. That's why we want to open up to the more international people. Then the English is of course the one of the necessary language for the science and for the communication as well. So we prepared exam, we start launch up the new exam system, which can be held in the whole English. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of our first um, things that we did. Very cool. Yeah, and I think for Andrew and I coming to PRI as students before before SciCast mm -hmm. was around, it, it's kind of a much more complicated process. Right. And you kind of have to jump through a lot of hoops and figure a lot of stuff out on your own. Mm -hmm. So SciCast is kind of a nice step forward to mm -hmm. make everything simpler for international people that want to come. Right. Yeah, it seems to have changed quite a bit. Hope so. <laughs> yeah, in that time. And definitely so even more like, you know, want to listen about those input as well, like how much <laughs> you now feel comfortable to stay in Japan and how things can be changed and also how it can be improved later as well. So that's kind of seems really important for us. Okay, so one of the ways that, that PRI definitely improved recently is by bringing Professor David Hill and Fred Berkovich in. <laughs> so what are you guys doing here? Okay, so I came in February 2010 um, and the big attraction for me was to try help to launch a brand new international program for collaboration in research, even though it's called Advanced Studies in Primatology. I had studied primates um, for over 20 years, but then had branched out into some non-primates. Mm. And the opportunity presented itself to work on primates and non-primates in an international atmosphere. And a key for me was the fact that the Primate Research Institute and Kyoto University had a long tradition and a long history of detailed studies on primates, um, less so on other animals and less so on conservation. So I thought this would be a really cool way to bridge conservation and wildlife biology and primates and non-primates in field studies and laboratory studies in the international community because Japan had a history of being a very insular country. Mm -hmm. And now Japan was opening up. They're becoming bigger players in the world in many fields including education and academics. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity. Bring on graduate students from around the world. You can train them. They can go back to their host countries for conservation. Mm -hmm. um, they can do more research mm -hmm. on primates in their countries, on other animals. So I thought it was a great opportunity um, and still trying to work on bringing in and recruiting international students. And what I have found in the last couple of years 
is that, as Ikuma was saying, um, got through a few bumps at the start. And like <laughs> the guys were saying, it was a little bit difficult to get used to it. But there is a system in place now sure. to make yeah. it a lot easier for right. international students mm -hmm. to adjust to life in Japan and to move ahead with their educational careers. So just going back to backtrack a little bit here, this is not actually, coming in 2010 was not the first time that you visited Japan, was it? No, I had actually been here in 1996. There was a conference on um, Asian macaques. Okay. And I had studied rhesus monkeys at Cayo Santiago okay. for about a dozen years before coming here. And when I came to that conference, I presented a talk on reproductive strategies of rhesus monkeys, um, took a side trip to Arashiyama, which was right mm -hmm. outside Kyoto. Mm -hmm. right. um, and then the conference was actually held here in Inuyama. Was it oh, in wow. IP? It was, was it in, in Inuyama at the Freud yeah. Center. And wow. it was really, Freudian. it was Freudian Center. And it was very <laughs> um, interesting for me to come back to a place that I hadn't expected right. to move to for a while. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, and even see the same place, because then last year there was a seminar, a meeting held at the same Friday Center, mm -hmm. wow. um, oh, just before right. the IPS meeting. You come full circle. Mm -hmm. I had come full circle. And then what I didn't realize um, until after we had come here was I didn't, I had been working in Cayo Santiago and in Puerto Rico for a while. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that so had David. We never overlapped mm. while we were doing our research in Cayo Santiago, but we knew a lot of the same people and in some ways had parallel trajectories from primates to non-primates. And then David came like a month after I came. That's right. And just before we, I, I want to move over to David, uh, that's not the only link that we had. So you, Mike has told me the story, Mike Huffman said that you were one of his first primatology friends. Well, so that goes, <laughs> back that, in the day. Right. that goes back before Mike even moved to Japan. So, oh, wow. So what happened was before Mike became a graduate student, mm -hmm. he was kind of checking out places. And I was working on my PhD in Kenya mm -hmm. on okay. reproductive strategies and baboons mm -hmm. and got a letter from this guy, Mike Huffman, um, because he was just coming to visit. And we said, sure, come on out. So he spent about a week with us hmm. um, in Kenya, over um, in Gilgil. Mm -hmm. And we'd been in contact since then. Um, what happened afterwards was he ended up staying in Japan and working on female choice and mating strategies mm -hmm. in Japanese macaques. And I right. ended up finishing my PhD on mating strategies mm -hmm. and female That's choice right. in baboons. Wow. So right. we even had the same, or very similar, PhD topics, mm. and we'd just been in touch for years. In fact, after Kenya and I had moved to Puerto Rico, Mike also came to visit us there at one point, and we took mm -hmm. him out to Cayo Santiago so he could see the rhesus monkeys, yeah. and we'd work together on comparing rhesus and Japanese macaques. Right. Um, so we yeah. actually go back quite a, go back quite a while with Mike, and mm -hmm. then when this opportunity came up, an added bonus was being able to work with Mike. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Probably not something you would have expected even no, just a few never, years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, never could have predicted it or expected it, especially back in the days mm -hmm. when you're working on your PhD and you have this guy just passing through. That's right. It's like, wow, who could know that? Well, he's passed through a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what about you, David? <laughs> Did you expect to find yourself back in Japan? Um, well, I frequently came back to Japan, so it wasn't that much of a surprise, but I wasn't expecting to find myself working and living in Japan in the same way because um, I actually, although I did my PhD research in Cayo Santiago, um, I did my postdocs in Japan. So mm. um, a long time ago, I had experience of living here for six and a half years and doing research on, on Japanese monkeys. Um, but after that, I moved back to the UK, but I was still coming back to Japan pretty much every year to do field work. And that's in Yakushima, right? That's so right, yeah. Also one of my beloved places <laughs> in Japan. Yeah, yeah. And, um, gradually moved on to becoming interested in other mammals in Yakushima 
initially deer and monkeys and then in bats and, and after that I got hooked on bats and started working on bats. But um, yeah, um, the, um, similar to, to, uh, to Fred, I met Mike very early on because um, he was, I think he was either finishing his PhD or just started a postdoc right. at, um, in, in the anthropology department at mm -hmm. Kyoto when I started my postdoc, so we met then. Yeah, um, but yes, I'm surprised to find myself back <laughs> but very, very pleased. Pleasantly surprised. Ideal. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes it is. And um, I think part of the motivation for me, a lot of it for me, is that the fact that I've um, enjoyed life in Japan so much as a foreigner coming in and doing research here, that I'd really like to help other people to, mm -hmm. to, to facilitate other people to have that mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. I mean, my own focus and to a large extent, Fred's is sort of field work. Um, focus, but um, there are lots of opportunities for people to come here and study in laboratories as That's well. Right, yeah. mm. um, but to be able to do that in Japan, which has its own long scientific tradition mm -hmm. and very well developed um, body of scientists, um, it's just an excellent opportunity. I'd like to be able to, you know, help pe other pe young people to um, to experience it. It definitely seems to be a resource to the country in general that not a lot of people have exploited, I think, to come here in primatology or even in other fields mm. from abroad. But just to go back to the link with Kyle Santiago, so you said you were doing your, your PhD research there. Yes, that's and right. And at the time, your PhD advisor was none other than Robert Ryan. Ryan. Yes, that's right, yes. <laughs> Somebody that a few primatologists might know. <laughs> yes, yes, I hope so. Um, yeah, Robert took me on as his, um, I was actually his last non-human primate student. He'd had a string of, of non-human primates. Are you students. not a human primate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have very good disguise. But, um, he, actually be, he, he actually began research on chaffinches and blue tits. Mm -hmm. He began as a bird researcher, so I have a, a, a nice precedent for <laughs> shifting fields completely. <laughs> but when I initially went to, um, to Cambridge to do my PhD, I was going to work on animal communication, and my advisor was going to be Mike Simpson, because that was something he was interested in. But gradually my interest shifted to social relationships, mm -hmm. and specifically social relationships of adult males. Um, in Rhesus macaques, and so Robert took over because that was much more his sort of area, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, it was it was really a great experience being a student under him. He had many students, so he was very busy, but right. you know when you needed to see him, you could always find time, and he was mm -hmm. had a very sympathetic um, ear, so and was extremely helpful. So yeah, very pleased to have been a student of his. I did, he didn't stop doing non-human primate students because of me. <laughs> Make it very clear. I think he wasn't going to take any more. He was going to concentrate on the studies of child behaviour, human child okay. behaviour, mm. um, because I had a new unit there on um, um, integration of behaviour, development of integration of behaviour, which was focusing on child um, behaviour. But he, you know, because of my area of interest, he took me on mm -hmm. as an sort of mm. additional um, primate student. Very cool. Yeah. And how about you, Fred? Oh, sorry. So your advisor changed your PhD, yeah. That changed. Changed. Changed <laughs> while I was in the field. I had, <laughs> I had one of in those, the field that it changed. In the field that changed. Yeah, I had one of those experiences where um, when I began the PhD program and went out to Kenya, I had actually gone out to Kenya to help another graduate student do their PhD. Mm -hmm. um, then while I was there, two of the people who were my advisors mm -hmm. and me worked out a dissertation project. So I stayed there, and my advisor at the time was Donald Lindbergh, who was at UCLA. Then he obtained a position at the San Diego Zoo. So he moved to the San Diego Zoo while I was in Kenya, and Dorothy Cheney and Robert Seifarth mm -hmm. moved to UCLA from their postdoc, Peter Marler, 
who had worked on communication with Robert Hind. Okay. That's six degrees, everybody's. Well, just to add to that link, Chris also was a student of Cheney and Safer. That's at right. UPenn. They teach at UPenn now, and I was an undergraduate at UPenn, so I uh, took all of their classes. Oh, that's it. <laughs> See, so we are a nice, happy oh, family. Right. Right. It's all linked together, right? So then, yeah, Dorothy actually became the chair of my PhD committee. Okay. Um, and then after I um, got my PhD, I think it was about a year or two later, that's when she left to Penn. Her and Robert took up the positions at Penn. Mm -hmm. And they became much more interested, or they kind of shifted from field studies to experimental field work, especially mm -hmm. with communication and social right. relationships, mm -hmm. um, which kind of factors into a lot of what people here at PsychASP are doing also. That's mm -hmm. right, yeah. I remember it was because of an anecdote they said during class at UPenn that got me first interested in PRI. They really? said that they had visited here once and it was really interesting because they were staying here, I guess, in this building that we're mm -hmm. in right now, in like the the local the dormitory mm -hmm. of PRI, and they woke up to hearing Gibbons ah, doing yeah. the call. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember listening to that story and thinking, "Wow, that must be a cool place. I should try and stay in that mm -hmm. dormitory so, too." Why <laughs> then don't you walk on the Gibbons then? You should pick up the Gibbons. <laughs> right. right. Professor, Maybe. yeah, Professor Matsuzawa was at Pennsylvania too. He was. That's he another was. With them. He was. So he has right. a very close connection with, with them because uh, they overlapped, I think, for a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was at the David Premack lab when right. UPenn used okay. to have mm -hmm. chimps. And it was out in the countryside with the, the Amish countryside. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so not in Philadelphia, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so then, and Mike's your advisor, so you're connected to Mike too. And what's your connection to Matsuzawa? Then how do you guys connect? Well, I mean, my PhD supervisor is kind of the brother in spirit of him, the Professor Matsuzawa. So it's kind of we we are closely related, and we are doing the same kind of topics. So I mean, other than the Fujita's lab, I mean that's my supervisor in Kyoto. Uh, there's almost no place we can work on primate, non-human primate, especially. I mean. And then I started to collaborate with Matsuzawa, Professor Matsuzawa and Tomonaga also in the same section when I was in graduate school. So we, uh, we worked together for the cognitive development in the uh, infant macaques. And that's kind of how we start work together. Mm -hmm. So it's already 10 years or over 10 years ago. But mm. So I want to interrupt with a completely different topic. You just said something about kind of like a brother. Yeah. of Matsuzawa. So in the last interview, we had Matsuzawa here, and he was talking about the history of, of oh, Primate Japan. Triplet. He was talking about the ancestral triplets right. and yeah. spiritual twins yeah. and this kind of thing. So what is this with the spiritual <laughs> siblings? Well, they are the kind of pioneer again for the area of the comparative cognitive science, which was not so much big at all in Japan before, mm -hmm. or even in the worldwide it's kind of same situation. So most of the people working in psychology, which is more or less uh, focusing on universal <coughs> learning theory, what can be the theory behind the learning, or the learning the some ability. Mm -hmm. But uh, the things that Fujita and Professor Matsuzawa are focusing on is the species difference. So what can be a cause for the species difference, and how they actually adapt to their environment, and how they can relate it to the each cognitive abilities for each species. Mm -hmm. So it's more like a broad picture, and so instead of focusing on the universal, they are more focusing on the difference among the species. So it's kind of a new style of the study on the cognitive abilities in mm -hmm. non-humans. So it's kind of pioneer spirit, 
spiritual brother. <laughs> so, and before you came to PRI and joined Sitecasp, mm-hmm. um, you you did your postdoc in the United States. Right. You see. Right. So uh, that was uh, from 2006 to 2008. I was in Atlanta, the Georgia, uh, and was in the, uh, oh yeah, York's National Primary Research Center, and which is actually attached to Emory University. I was there for two years and mm-hmm. worked with over Hampton, mm-hmm. and who is really famous for the uh, for the finding of the metacognition or meta memory in a research macaques. So it's kind of knowledge about the knowledge, okay. or knowledge about yourself, like, you know, whether or not you remember the certain topic. Right. So this kind of new finding was done by him, and I joined his laboratory and worked together for two years. Yeah. How did you find going out of Japan and doing some research in the states? I mean, that's kind of exciting. It's really exciting. And right after I got PhD, I really want to have some experience work on other places. And not only, I mean, in a different laboratory, but also in a different culture. Because uh, for the science, for sure, this could be an international society. Mm-hmm. And for that purpose, I mean, for that meaning, I mean, I, for me, it's really important to get really in those different society and understand the difference between us. It's kind of similar to the uh, compact point of science. We want to focus on difference. Mm-hmm. And then by looking at the difference, we more recognize ourselves clearly. All right, this is the difference, which means this is us. This is, you know, I mean, it's not so clear difference like a species difference, but it's kind of help us to understand why people can hit on some difficulties in other countries, even though the local people never think about that can be a problem. Mm-hmm. And which kind of helped me a lot to understand the international student here have some problems. And I always keep my eyes open like uh, what can be a difficulties for them. Sure. And most of the Japanese never find it, you know. But because of this kind of experience, I, I experienced by myself, why I cannot do this kind of simple things? <laughs> and why I need to ask the people to help me about this? Yeah, it's really silly. But the but biggest difference is you probably went to the States with already a good command of the language yes. that they use. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> even more make me feel here in Japan, international students should have much more tough time compared mm-hmm. to even my, I mean, but still even for me, mm-hmm. it was tough, even though I can speak some English. Sure. But of course, I mean, system is, system is different. And, I mean, whole structure is different. Yeah. Then even though just opening, I mean, even like a, opening up the bank account is really such a simple thing. <laughs> but that bring me a lot of problem. And those kind of experience, I mean, totally, I mean, make me change my mind and not my mind in a big way, but more my op yeah, make me open the my mind open to the everyone. Mm-hmm. I think anyway it just makes you more sympathetic yeah, and yeah. conscious mm-hmm. about some of the problems right. that yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. And, and at least good. one of us who's uh, about to get their PhD here <laughs> has been an international <laughs> student at PRI for the last five years and you might have come across a few road bumps. Yeah it's true. Bumps. There's a lot of paperwork and difficult situations. Mm-hmm. Getting a driver's license was difficult. <laughs> so it does help. I know we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> so yeah, it's great to have kind of a support system here mm-hmm. at PRI. And I think SciCasp is a good um, kind of central hub for helping out right. people in, the, in these types of situations. Yeah. And I mean, not only the you know problem is not only for them. I mean, for them, I mean, they kind of think it's really hard for them to overcome the problem and they need the help. But those difficulties not only the problem that can makes people think they're really you know um how can i say they're handicapped or yeah. depressed yeah. sometimes yeah. so they feel really kind of i mean in 
hardly go like um, mm. isolated from the others. So they are kind of more easily depressed. Mm. Even though the small things, accumulation, the small tiny things, each of those things not big at all, but still those can change their feeling a lot. Right. And I really want to change the kind of situation. So we always want to keep the door open mm -hmm. to the international people and try to make a good system to to support them. And we are kind of doing that. Really yeah, I mean, getting through graduate school any place is a challenge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no matter where you go. Um, and coming to a foreign country is e to get your PhD is mm -hmm. even a bigger challenge yeah. um, for the students for SciCast. So the best we can do is try to ease it, make yeah. it easier for them mm -hmm. yeah. um, in a number of ways. And this is pretty much what we try to do. And most of us have been other places and, mm -hmm. and try to help adjust to Japanese society and the mm -hmm. way the system mm -hmm. works. And there are some things that um, we can help and others as anywhere, mm -hmm. there are certain brick walls and that's right. it. Yeah. You just have to learn yeah. to deal with the brick wall. Right. Um, but that's not unique to Japan no, or no. to PRI no. or any place like that. It's just sometimes people have different expectations and mm -hmm. one of the things that we try to convince the students here is that we're working with them mm -hmm. to help them get the PhD as well as working with them to help them adjust them to life in Inuyama. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, if I one more thing, it's even actually the bigger issue. But once I overcome the problem or difficulties in the States, then I more enjoy really a lot yeah. the experience there. I mean, new experience, different experience, different style of the research, or different, I mean, style of this, I mean, discussion. Everything's kind of so stimulating. So that is kind of one really important part of the internationalization. Like yeah. You got more like a broad picture of the style of the research, and you're not just focusing on tiny, small things. Yeah. And that helped me a lot. And for Japan, I mean, same way, if we can support them to overcome these kind of difficulties, we can provide so many interesting um, resources for them. That's right. So that's kind of how we want to proceed here. Mm -hmm. And also, although, um, I mean, coming to Japan, many of the people in PRI are working in other places all over the world. So yeah. um, students coming here, um, obviously, will get the experience of living in Japan, but many of them will also get the experience of working in Democratic Republic of Congo or Uganda. Mm, that's or right. Bonnier. One of our students is just coming back on Monday that's right, yeah. from the so Yeah, so it's a kind of uh, both a, um, a new experience in terms of, of living, but I think through SciCast we can give a you know a secure and friendly mm. base for that and that's help right. people, but also the experience of of living and working, doing field work in a, right. another country. That's true because one of the um, main advantages here is the number of field projects that are going on, as well as the financial support to send students to the field. That's true. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the students here coming from the international community haven't traveled much. So not only do they get used to Japan, but it's true what you're saying, is they also get to go to another country. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes there are funds available so that they can go there just to see what it's mm -hmm. like for a couple That's of right. weeks mm -hmm. to experience different mm -hmm. And also, I mean, for me, it's not only for the international people. It's kind of, of course, mutual. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. right. And I mean, of course, I mean, we're going to mostly focusing on the, uh, bringing some support for the international scholars. But what, hap what happened later is, of course, internationalization as a whole in yeah. PRI. Yeah. Then the Japanese student who can get a lot of influence from the international people. Yeah. And even though they just stay in Japan, they can kind of feel the same experience. Yeah. And we should be really, really advantage for them. So it's That's really right. For right. The it's like, yeah, like I mentioned, one of the, the advantages here, or one of the, the areas that Japan is moving in, is becoming less insular and attracting an international community. But if Japan is going to be part of the international community and the students 
part of that, then the mm -hmm. Japanese students are also going to be playing in the international yeah. game. So we do try to encourage Japanese students to show up at our workshop. We have a weekly workshop in SciCast. That's right. Um, mm -hmm. On wildlife research. And a lot of the Japanese graduate students show up. Yeah. The, the, the workshop itself is in English. Mm -hmm. They work on improving mm -hmm. their English. And we do try to integrate the Japanese students mm -hmm. with the international students. Right. It's an important part of... Right. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be moving along. There's yeah. actually quite a few Japanese students who are interested in coming to the international seminars mm -hmm. and yeah, gatherings. Yeah, absolutely. I think people Parties, appreciate the of importance of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I just... Oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. And also they kind of start to think about you know, having a presentation in English and yeah. talk to the international people kind of as a normal things. So it's already a good start. They kind of feel it's more like, you know, relaxing or relaxed yeah. to, mm -hmm. to do those kind of things. Yeah. Before, I mean, we have some people just speaking English in the... Uh, in, in the um, the seminar and so on, but I mean now they have strong motivation to do it. That's right. Or it's just normal for them. That's right. It's a really great um, step, I think. And so speaking speaking of speaking English during presentations and things, there's another link in SciCasp, and that's that both David and myself initially came to Japan not to study, <laughs> I mean, to teach English. Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so can you tell us a little bit about that? How did that come about? Yes, I had. Um, I was just about to complete my PhD and um, wanted was looking for the next step. And I had applied for a, a um, postdoctoral fellowship in Japan, um, but the decision was delayed. There were various reasons the decision was delayed, and because my wife and I knew we wanted to come to Japan as a sort of insurance, we'd also applied for jobs as English teachers with right. a British company that that had um, schools in in Tokyo and Osaka, and signed two-year contracts with them and just after we'd signed the contracts discovered that postdoc had been successful <laughs> now of course i could have just walked away from the company and done the postdoc for, but my wife was a professional english teacher that was her was her right, profession okay, at the yeah. time and if she'd walked away she might have had trouble getting another job yeah and so um luckily i was able to postpone it and spent two years living in tokyo mm. Which actually was very good experience because Tokyo is it, at that time was a relatively easy place for um, non-Japanese people to live mm -hmm. um, because there was lots of information in, in English or you could mm -hmm. find somebody who could speak English fairly mm -hmm. easily. Whereas my field site in Yakushima um, at that time and still to a large extent you don't find people who speak English so if you don't have any Japanese ability you're in trouble or you depend the whole time on one or two people who, mm -hmm. who um, can speak both. Language. So it's kind of good preparation for that, mm -hmm. and also allowed me to see Tokyo, this huge city. You know, my first two yeah. years of two years of Japan, mm -hmm. and then moved to Yakushima, which is rural, small population, completely mm -hmm. the other end of the spectrum. Um, so I got a really nice view of two sides of Japan, mm -hmm. and then for the last two and a half years, lived in Kyoto, mm -hmm. which is kind of intermediate, yeah. but a, but a, a character character all of its own. So three different um, experiences of Japan within yeah. the first uh, six and a half years. Well, I think speaking Japanese definitely is an advantage for you guys. I don't speak much, but you've been here for a long time. Have you found, yes. I mean, can you oh. dabble in Japanese every once in a while? No, it's interesting. It, I this think is what we, when, when the interviewee asks the interviewer questions they don't want to be asked. Well, <laughs> that's a back I think that, I, of course, um, being able to speak Japanese really helps your quality of life. Mm. In terms of interacting with people and um, kind of understanding the culture and things like that, um, I will say that it's not totally necessary at PRI mm -hmm. to uh, to be able to speak Japanese because English is the public language here. And so, right. if if research is your focus and you really want to just 
do research, you can do it in English.、Um, but yeah, it does help to have some Japanese, of course. Sure, but that's one of those fun things you can pick up on the side. Right, right. Coming、mm-hmm. along. Definitely. So, speaking of research, maybe we should just have a little, a little bit of information for people about what we, <laughs> what we do here. So, you, come, you started by talking about all these. Uh, this、yeah. comparative approach to、right. psychology.、Mm-hmm. Thing. So, so, what specifically is your, your major research theme right now? Okay, so the, my main research focus is kind of concept in animals, which kind of related to language abilities somehow. But the basic idea is kind of how they actually perceive the world, how they actually organize information in the brain to make a, c- a category about the information in the environment and so on. And especially these days, I focus on the cross model. Or multimodal integration of the information into those representations. So, like our auditory information and visual information, of course, come together,、mm-hmm. and then which kind of make a representation of, for example, person, individual, and so on. So, I kind of focus on this aspect, and the, now I work in the chimps and other primate species, whether or not they have those kind of representations、mm-hmm. and how much they can actually,、mm-hmm. and so on. And on the side、uh, research or side topic, I also have kind of cross model. Basic mapping, which is also kind of related to another aspect of language, which is kind of leveling. So, if you have like a spontaneously have some, how can I say, motivation to match certain sound type to the certain shape, then it's relatively restrict the combination of the sound and the visual information,、okay. for example. So, it's going to believe that this kind of basic combination can be a big help when we develop a new language、mm-hmm. or the, we evolve the language. Because it's relatively easy for people to share this information. Then it's kind of shared in the community. It comes as an official label for the object. So it's kind of how probably people、um, how can acquire the fast language or symbolic language. So I also kind of do these kind of things for the other species. Yeah. yeah. It's really too specific, but. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> is too specific for our audience. <laughs> Yeah. Dude, my research focus basically hasn't changed in 25 years. It's funny. <laughs> I'm stuck in the mud.、Um, but when in one I, sense, but not in another. Right, exactly. And so when I began my PhD, I was just fascinated and completely blown away、um, by how animals have evolved living in social groups. And I really wanted to understand more about what factors determine social relationships and why do animals differ in their reproductive success.、Mm-hmm. So that's where. I started my career on my PhD. Since that time, the questions have kind of grown out of that, and so have the species. But it really does come down to trying to work on the physiology and the genetics and the ecology of a variety of species to see what makes them tick. So, the what main, species are we talking about? Yeah, well, I'll get to that in a minute.、Okay. So, what I was going to say so, the main kind of、um, focus at the moment has grown from that into how can understanding the social systems and mating behaviors of animals help their conservation?、Mm-hmm. So, I'm really trying to push a lot more conservation as well as studies of evolutionary biology. So, having dipped through、um, baboons and rhesus monkeys and koalas and a few、mm-hmm. others, right now、um, the focus is on giraffe.、Um, giraffe are really widespread in Africa. They're a real popular species in zoos.、Uh, everyone who goes on Africa's、mm-hmm. forest wants to see giraffe. And、their feeding behavior has been studied quite a bit. They actually eat over 100 different species, even though the, the picture of a giraffe is sticking its tongue out and pulling <laughs> off an acacia leaf.、Uh, they eat more than that.、Um, but there are very few studies of giraffe and their social systems in Africa.
Um, so unlike elephants or hyenas or lions or baboons or gorillas or chimpanzees, there aren't any long-term field studies of giraffe. So right now I'm working with an individual, Phil Berry, who's been a safari guide in Zambia um, for over 30 years. And he's collected a lot of useful data, and so we're analyzing that. And this is where my focus is now, working on giraffe conservation and deciphering the nuances of a giraffe social system. They're more complicated than people think. <laughs> we could actually look at their cognition if we had people uh, focusing on that. But mm, so do you think they can use a touch panel? <laughs> <laughs> With their long tongue. They can use their tongue. <laughs> Train them to use their tongue on the touch yeah, panel. Yeah, yeah, they have a black do you think we can fit any NPRI? <laughs> so, so even though the giraffe right now are kind of the central species, um, there's a lot I have worked on and mm. still working on some work with the koalas and doing mm. some work on rhesus monkey hormones and behavior. And just um, generally being a huge Darwin buff as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. So can you and trying to relate everything to evolutionary biology and Darwin's ideas of natural mm -hmm. selection. Including mm -hmm. your recent trip including to Argentina. Recent, including the recent trip to Argentina. So I took, um, hadn't been, well... Um, I haven't been on a vacation in a long time, so I took a long, I took a long <laughs> vacation, went to Argentina because it's one of the places I hadn't visited to go down to the Beagle Channel. Mm -hmm. um, wanted to see Tierra del Fuego and managed to get to Tierra del Fuego during the summertime. Mm -hmm. And it was windy and bitter cold and icy rain and choppy and the Beagle Channel was a complete mess. But what was really cool about it being a complete mess and me freezing my butt off in the Beagle Channel, mm. was I was there in January, and Charles Darwin was there in January, although he was there in 1833. And when he was there, it was also freezing cold, and the Beagle actually, when they went out to see the Cape Horn, they were stuck for three weeks at sea because the weather was terrible. They couldn't get back into the channel. Mm. And it's hard reading that, imagining how difficult it could be on a sailboat to get back into the channel until you've been to the Beagle Channel during the summer months when it's supposed to be calm and you're in a modern catamaran, and it's just freezing cold, and you can see the, the white caps and the water all mm -hmm. over, and you just kind of picture, man, this guy must have been pretty resilient. All the sailors, actually, yeah. pretty resilient mm -hmm. and persistent and just doggedly determined yeah. to explore. There you go. So what? I get my Darwin fixed by going to Argentina. <laughs> one, one degree of separation from the place that spurned the most elegant idea in history. Mm -hmm. David. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do here at Zeitgeist? Well, my research now focuses um, pretty much exclusively on bats, but I have, within that, have different research interests. And like Fred, I'm interested in conservation and particularly in improving methods for surveying bats in forest habitats because they are quite, um, quite difficult to survey in forest habitats, but we've developed um, a, a lure which, which improves our ability to get measures of diversity in a short period of time. But it's been used mainly in temperate forests, and now I'm I'm trying to improve it for use in tropical rainforests, where obviously diversity of species is much higher. But um, the way it works is by producing um, simulations of social calls, communicative calls between bats, and I'm also interested in bat um, social behaviour and particularly their vocal communication and how that what basically what its functions mm -hmm. are. Because the huge challenge of um, studying bats compared with primates and probably giraffes, you can't see them. I mean, you, have well, you can see giraffes, but they disappear easily. I think vegetation is amazing. I could lose a bat a much lot more easily than we lose a giraffe. <laughs> I won't make, we'll make a bet on that one. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, so you have to use you have to use things like radio tracking, and you have to use capture and, um, and recordings in the in the field. Mm. But using playback experiments and different in different sort of contexts, you can begin to get an idea of what the call the functions of the calls mm -hmm. are. So it's kind of um, it's cha very challenging, but it's very rewarding when you do actually find things out. Mm -hmm. But I think that the three what the three of us have in common is that we are all very much uh, interested in the comparative aspect. Mm -hmm. And so things that I've been finding out, like the fact that the species I'm looking at, it turns out, has matrilineal um, groups, mm -hmm. or that you wouldn't imagine it was a group because part of the time they're apart and occasionally they're together, but it's a matrilineal group, almost certainly made up of, of um, mothers and daughters and sisters and so on, um, similar to most primate species. And I think the three of us really want to sort of emphasize and, and, and show the look at things from a comparative perspective rather than purely primate or purely brat, bat mm -hmm. or purely giraffe. I think that's probably a good way to sum up the, the research aspect of what yeah, it is. It's a, it's a broad perspective in the sense that we do cover, we're saying laboratory and field, everything from cognition to conservation, everything from evolution to ecology. Mm -hmm. um, well, but I it's also integrative. Yeah, it is integrative in the sense yeah. that we do cover not only different fields, but different species. That's right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, your future prospects for SciCasp? Just to finish <laughs> this up here. What is the next, what are you doing next? What in terms I? of research? In yeah, research, I'm going to Thailand next week for, for three weeks to test the autobat in, in Thai tropical forest. The autobat, I love that we've just We've <laughs> just been testing it in, in Malaysia quite successfully, and, and we're going to extend to um, Thailand and then this coming at the moment it, that's a hibernating in Japan but in the coming field season going back to Japan and building on the sort of initial data we got that suggests that these um, bats are living in matrilineal mm -hmm. groups try and get some more information on that and start doing playback experiments haven't actually done any on these bats I did mm -hmm. some in the UK but not here so far very so, cool yeah. Thailand sounds nice and warm a little <laughs> different <so. laughs> Guma I basically stay here because I'm since I'm working <laughs> in the laboratory setup. So every day basis we just go down for the experiment room and call in chimps or other primate species and train them to do some task. Mm -hmm. And then the once they got some basic skill then we just modify slightly to see the certain aspect, whether or not they can transfer their knowledge to the new situation and so on. So as far as I do this, I'm going to stay here. And for the collaboration-wise, of course, I'm going to go to several places world as well. Sure. And recently, we may start some collaboration with India. Yeah, you were there recently. About it. Yeah, I just got invited for a talk uh, this month, actually, two weeks ago or so. And then we are talking about some future collaboration. And also Germany, we have some collaboration. And the States, we have uh, Dr. Brian here, who is doing huge comparative studies there. And we are kind of joining that program as well. So there's several things going on, but I by myself mostly stay here. All right. And my Fred. next short research expedition is to New York. Um, <laughs> A lot of primates in New York. Yeah, lots of primates in New York. But um, pretty much it's for two, two, re two main reasons. One is because using the comparative approach, I am going to be given a presentation on the evolution of human societies from the perspective that incorporates giraffe social systems. Um, they have something to say mm -hmm. about creating models for human societies. And the other part is to do library research back on this Charles Darwin um, 
tactic because I am writing a book on how he actually laid the foundations for conservation mm -hmm. and is connected to subsequent conservationists both professionally and personally and so heading to New York allows me the opportunity um, to read some books and go to some of the libraries which I don't have access to over here in All right. Japan. Well, if anybody's listening in that area, when and where will you be talking? Um, in March, I don't know the um, CUNY Graduate School, um, and mm -hmm. I forgot the dates, but it'll be in the middle of March. Okay, well, if anybody's listening out there, try and get down to see Fred Ty. Yeah. And we'll definitely have you open. back on the show when you finish I'm your book. Until you know. <laughs> <laughs> as well as Sounds everybody like a else. Plan. Yeah, the next round of Psychasp interviews. Yep. Any final thoughts? A That's a golden opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, joining us. Yes, thanks very much for joining right. us. Oh, thank you. Thank you.